Good morning. Glad to see you're all upright after this last week. Boy, that wind was painful, is painful. How you doing? All right. Got one eager young man. I love it. <laughs> My name's Adrian, and I'm one of the pastors here at Carnegie Free. If we haven't met, love to connect with you after the service. But welcome. So glad you're here. Welcome to those watching at CarneyEFree.com as well. Um, We are uh, finishing up our series titled Unhurry Already. Today and on Good Friday will be our final brief message in that series. Hope you can come back for that as we wrap up uh, this series. We understand that we will not unhurry already by virtue of a six-week sermon series, right? This won't happen. It'll require some intentional moves on your part and mine to turn this into reality as we move from this series. I'm praying that for you. I've been praying that for our church, and we'll continue to do so. Let's open up with a word of prayer, and then we will dive into this morning's message. Father in heaven, thank you for this morning. Thank you for every person here, every person watching online. Each and every one of them matters greatly to you and matters to us at this church. It's a joy to be together in this safe, warm place. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for loving us so much that you would give us this day of rest to enjoy being with you. Lord, we recognize there are some that are hurting right now today. There are a number of people in Gosper Gosper and Farnes counties here in our state in southwest Nebraska that are dealing with this terrible fire, and we ask God for those firefighters, that you give them courage as they continue to fight that fire. We pray, Lord, that you would spare the homes and the businesses, and you would protect individuals in that region. Lord, we continue to pray for those who are hurting across our world, and especially in Ukraine. My heart just breaks as I think about that nation that once was one of the crown jewels of Christianity in Eastern Europe. Just a short time ago, I I pray, Lord, that you would rise up pastors and missionaries and doctors and nurses and so many to stretch out their hands and continue to help there in that country that's been devastated by war. I pray that you would humble the proud, you would give grace to the humble, and you bring peace to that land. Now, Father, I pray for those in attendance today who are struggling There are many here today that are going through the pain of a broken relationship or an addiction that they are trying to fight, perhaps a besetting area of weakness that just gets them again and again and again. For some, there's a loss of a relative whom they loved or the loss of a friendship. For each of us, Lord, there is something, so we invite your presence that you, Holy Spirit, would be our helper our counselor, our intercessor in this, our time of need. Now, Lord, as we dive into a discussion on the Sabbath, would you open our hearts and our minds? Would you give us open minds? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Our God, our rock, and our redeemer. Amen. Sabbath for me is the best day of the week. It wasn't always the best day of my week, but it is now. 
It is a special and unique day each week when I get to refresh, I get to rest, I get refueled, I get to remember the good work of God. Frankly, if I may, Sabbath is fun. It is a fun, enjoyable day, at least for me and I I think for our family as well. It wasn't always that way for me. I'm not naturally one to sit back and relax for a day. I like to keep going and keep going and ringing as much as I possibly can from each of the seven days per week, even if I feel tired all the time. I'm one who likes to work hard, sometimes too late, and still at the end of the day, regularly feel like I am behind. That's my natural. And so I've had to learn Sabbath. I've learned over the years that the hurry that I oftentimes feel in my soul does not make me happy. Anyone else? Hurry does not make anyone happy. I've had to learn over the years that hurry certainly will not make you holy. Hurry might lead you to some sense of productivity, but I promise you hurry will not lead you to spiritual fruitfulness, and there is a difference, isn't there? There's a big, big difference between productivity and spiritual fruitfulness, and hurry will not get you to fruitfulness. I just say that here, though, this morning at the outset of this message to communicate that what we've been talking about throughout this sermon series with all these different spiritual practices and this goal of unhurry already, I just want to tell you that it's not natural to me. I, I've, like, I've had to work hard at this. I've had to learn the things that we've been talking about over the past six weeks. It takes work. What I want to tell you here, though, this morning is that the number one single easiest and perhaps single best entry point to a life of unhurry is the intentional weekly practice called Sabbath. I'm telling you, Sabbath is like the low-hanging fruit, like this cluster of grapes that God would offer to us that's just like hanging down, waiting for us to pick it. And if we do so, we get the most delightful joy entering into our mouth and our soul each and every week. I started Sabbath in earnest, really, for the first time in 2006. And at that time, I was a pastor at a church north of Denver, and that church decided to start a second campus And uh, about 150 people from that church elected to leave the original church and go with me to help launch this second church campus about 20 miles away. And the church asked me to lead that effort, and as we're doing a new venture, at the same time, I'm still helping out with ministries back at the original church, and I was going to seminary and newly married, and in a short time, we would have our first son. And in 2006, I think it's fair to say that for at least a window of time there, for one or two years at that time, my life consisted of church and seminary and sleep, with an occasional shower thrown in for everyone's benefit. Like, there just wasn't much left over time. And I didn't realize this, but what was happening at age 29 
was I was headed for burnout. At the very front end of the ministry that God had called me to, I was driving and driving and driving, and I was about to hit a wall, and I didn't even realize it. And into that, I received an email from an older man whom I really respected at the Sending Church. He also happened to be my insurance agent. And he sent me an email that was so timely and so challenging. It wasn't an encouraging email. It was a challenging email that I believe came from the Lord. And I want to read it for you here this morning. He said this, Adrian, I know that you and the rest of the staff are very busy with the Erie Church launch. That's the city where the new church would be. I'm writing to you with the concern that all of you are not realizing that God will do much more of the work than you think he will. My hope is that each of you will be able to do what God did once, once a week, which is rest. My concern is that you will take on the responsibility that what God wants done can't be done unless you do this or that. If God wants it done, it will get done, with or without anyone's effort. Take the time to totally rest, physically and mentally, for at least one whole day each week. I pray for all of you that none has the grandiose thoughts that your human effort is all that stands between this church getting off the ground or not. If God can put the world together in six days and then take a rest, he can surely get this project done with all of you working and allow you to get a day of rest each and every week. I recognize that your work week is not 40 or 50 hours, but much more. Trust God that things will work out if you follow his example. Regularly restore your energy. Spend time with the family. Do something you enjoy away from work. Just lay around the house, whatever. Everyone is more efficient and pleasant, he said. <laughs> what was he saying? Thanks, Gary. Everyone is more efficient and pleasant to be around when they are refreshed and rested. God's timing and plan will not change just because you work 70 or 80 hours a week. God bless you and keep the faith always, Gary. Whew. I tell you what, there is a power to the right word given by the right person at the right moment. Do not mistake the power you have to give a word of challenge or encouragement to someone who looks up to you. I will never forget, I've saved this email for 16 years, and this email from a man that I respected, I am not overstating it to say that it changed the trajectory of my life. It got me onto a new course of studying and learning about and practicing a wonderful spiritual practice which I had no experience of prior to that time. By God's grace, I began to experience Sabbath. Open with me, if you would, to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 5, and we're going to look at the fourth of the Ten Commandments here, though, this morning. You'll find Deuteronomy in the Old Testament from Genesis to Exodus. Leviticus to Numbers, and then Deuteronomy. Mine is on about page 180. I'm not sure what page yours is on, but that's the order. If you go to Joshua or Judges, you've gone just a little bit too far. But this is the Ten Commandments as given to, to Moses. This is the fourth of them. Deuteronomy 5, verses 12 through 15. 
think what we'll see in this passage is three words, though, that God gives to us as he seeks to give us this blessing, this wonderful gift called the Lord's Day or Sabbath. Those three words are rest, remembrance, and refuel. Listen now. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. In other words, it already is holy. Will you observe it and keep it as such? As the Lord your God has commanded you, six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your town, so that your male and female servants may rest just as you do. Remember that you were slaves. You were slaves in Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Now, the first gift that God gives to us, well, when he gives us the Sabbath, is the most obvious one. It's the gift of rest. In Sabbath, we get to rest. You hear the language is given to Moses on Mount Sinai as Moses is bowing down before the holiness of God, and he gets these two stone tablets, these two famous tablets with five commandments on each of them. And as he receives those, he learns, this day is a holy day as unto the Lord. Honor the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. He says, this is the day, God says to to Moses, that this would be a day that would be set apart, a different kind of day, that the other six days of the week, what do we do? We toil, we labor, we work our tails off. Maybe you have animals that are working for you. Maybe you have employees. Maybe there's immigrants among you that are working, and they all get a day to stop and breathe. Do your kids get a day to stop and breathe? Does your wife get a day? Does your husband get a day to stop and breathe, to remember that we have a soul, to remember that God is in charge and we are merely stewards of what he has given us, that we get to stop and unhurry just a little bit on this first day of the week and then build our lives out from there? I love the way Dallas Willard puts it. One of my favorite authors, he says this, you must arrange your days so that you are experiencing deep contentment and joy and confidence in your everyday life with God. You have to arrange your days. You have to intentionally do certain things each and every day so that you're experiencing more contentment, more peace, more joy, more confidence in your everyday existence because God is in charge of your life. Each and every day we arrange that we experience more of the contentment, confidence, and joy that is found in Jesus Christ our Lord. And that, my friends, begins with a great first day of the week. You can arrange that one because it's a different kind of day than the other six days, and that propels you to the rest of the week. It's on the Sabbath day that we acknowledge God is sovereign and we are not. So good. we got to acknowledge that. But especially on this day when we rest, we acknowledge that while we take a break, he continues to spin the world on its axis without us doing anything. Like we know, we all know God can take us out at any time, and this world will be just fine without us. 
And so we get to take a break on this day and remember that God is sovereign and this world is bigger than what we provide to it. On the Sabbath, we rest from our work and our devices and the endless errands that we have to do and all of our kids' activities. And as we rest, we are reminded once again that we have a soul. We have a soul that is meant to commune with God. We have a soul that is meant to find the easy yoke of Jesus Christ, our Lord. We learn again that rest is a gift from God. Like, it's totally underrated, isn't it? We need it, but it's totally underrated in our culture today. I think sometimes about why people do not practice Sabbath, and maybe we can help each other well with this. Would you raise your hand well with me if you had to practice Sabbath growing up? Emphasis, emphasis on had to. See one here? Any others? Okay, a handful of people would say, I had to practice Sabbath growing up, and if you had to practice Sabbath growing up, what did you have to do on Sabbath? Anyone want to share? You had to take a nap, okay. Had to go to church. You can talk in church, it's all right. Go to Sunday school, what else? Uh, cannot spend time? Couldn't spend time with friends? Woo, that was intense, okay. That was a strict one. What's that? No fun. All right. She just nailed it. Ah. <laughs> That's kind of the way it felt for a lot of people growing up when they heard about Sabbath. It was like B-O-R-I-N-G. You know, like, okay, go to church, go to Sunday school, maybe take a nap, go back to church. <laughs> and it's like for a kid, you mean no sports? No TV? Can't have friends over? Like, no commerce whatsoever. If you run out of milk, tough luck. You could have water with your cereal. <laughs> like, is that kind of thing. That's what people think of oftentimes Well, when they think of Sabbath. It's this list of legalistic restrictions that's kind of a, a stick. Instead of a gift that God has intended the Sabbath to be. Jesus ran into this over in Mark chapter 2. You can study it later today. But in Mark chapter 2, he and the disciples are going through the grain fields, and they get hungry. And as they're hungry, they decide to take some wheat off the grain fields, the edge of the grain field, and eat, which was perfectly legal to do within the Jewish legal system because Jews were actually required by law. This was not stealing they were doing. It wasn't stealing. Jews were required by law to leave the edges of their fields the edges of their vineyards unharvested. Why were they required to leave them unharvested? So that the poor, those who had less financial means, immigrants and widows and orphans could come through the edge of the fields and they could get food whenever they needed it. It's a beautiful provision by God. And in this case, the disciples are going through the edge of the field and they are lower class economically. They are relatively poor. They're hungry, and so they grab some wheat. Okay, no problem for anyone in that, but the, the, the Pharisees of the day, they see the disciples doing this, and they say, oh, that's unlawful. You cannot do that on the Sabbath day. You see, the, there was this rule the Pharisees made up that you couldn't pick wheat 
or any other crop on the Sabbath day, but because that was considered work, if you were to grab a kernel of wheat and you were to rub off the chaff, take the chaff off the wheat and then eat the kernel, that was considered harvesting and that would be work. To which Jesus said, be quiet, you legalistic losers. Or something like that, right? He said something like that to to the Pharisees. And then he said, can I just remind you that the Sabbath is supposed to be a gift. Like, I mean, men and women are not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath is made, Jesus said, to serve men and women. Made as a gift, not as a stick. Made as a gift to serve men and women such that we would find rest for our souls. Now, a lot of people recoil from the word Sabbath for the reason, though, that I just gave And I think it's really good that we've abandoned some of those legalistic restrictions. But do you know that sometimes in all of our progress, we actually regress? Come on. Come on, you know that? You know, in this progressive day, we actually regress in some ways? Come on. Could it be that as it comes to our progressive thinking about Sabbath, we've actually regressed? that we have thrown the baby called the Lord's Day out with the bathwater of legalistic restrictions. And as a result, we have lost this beauty of intimacy with God that is intended for us. We miss out on this gift of rest. And the gift of rest, of course, was God's invention in the first place. Like when you read Genesis 1 and 2, you see three different acts of creation that God calls blessed. First, when he makes the animals, then he calls them blessed. That should give us pause. Then when he makes people made in his image and likeness, he calls them blessed. All people. Every creed. Every race. Every background. All people. The people you like and the people you don't like, he calls them made in the image of God blessed. And then third, he makes the seventh day, and he calls it blessed. Again, this blessing is intended to counteract the clutter and the disorganization that we oftentimes feel in our souls. It's supposed to counteract the intimacy that we've oftentimes lost with God and with other people with an intimacy that could be regained with God and people whom we love. What if we actually had a full day each and every week to dwell with God, the people that we love the most, and even to enjoy that wonderful blessing called a nap from time to time? Like no questions asked, no guilt at all. You take a nap on the Sabbath, you rest and get refreshed. Second, the Sabbath is made to be a day to remember. It's a gift because it's a day that we can remember the ways that God has provided for us in the past. It's really hard for Christians to understand how precious the Sabbath day is to Jews around the world to this very day. Especially for Orthodox Jews, the Sabbath is to be zealously guarded, and it's not mostly a legalistic list of rules. It's a day to celebrate each and every week for Orthodox Jews. I've been really fortunate to have a number of Orthodox Jewish friends over the years, and they look forward to the Sabbath day as an oasis in each and every week for them. It's a reminder for them that they shall not be slaves to anything again. 
I love the way Jewish historian and theologian Abraham Heschel puts this. He says, six days a week we wrestle with the world, don't we? Six days a week we wrestle with the world, wringing profit from the earth. On the Sabbath, we especially care for the seed of eternity planted inside the soul. The world has our hands, but our soul belongs to someone else. Our soul belongs to someone else. Like, what do you do to stop and remember that you are way more than a body? You are way more than a unit of production. To remember that your soul actually belongs to God in heaven. And he has plans for you, not just for eternity, but plans for your soul to flourish today, here and now. Part of that is verse 15 of Deuteronomy 5. Remember, remember, remember that you were slaves in Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Do you think this verse applies to you today? Like, you are not slaves. At least, I, I pray. There is slavery still today, of course. Okay? It goes down on I-80 every day. There's slavery in other parts of the world. There's been wicked histories of slavery in many countries all across the world, including this one. But, but most of us are untouched by this idea of slavery. So does, does this apply to us today? I think it does, be, but be, because even though no one is trying to force us into slavery, you can voluntarily put yourself into slavery to become merely a unit of production for your boss, can you not? Come on. Like you can if you're not careful. You can put yourself voluntarily into a slavery where you start to believe all of life is simply keeping up with the Joneses more and more and more and more and more such that there's never a time where enough is enough. You can put yourself into a slavery in which you evaluate all of your decisions on the basis of profit and loss analyses. When life is about way more than money and material possessions, Sabbath is our opportunity each and every week to silently protest that way of living and that way of thinking. When we Sabbath, we remember that enough is enough. When we Sabbath, we remember that we were delivered out of, our ancestors well, were delivered out of slavery. When we Sabbath, we remember that I will never give my soul to another. My soul belongs to God alone. When we Sabbath, we remember it's for freedom that Christ has set you free. It's for freedom that Christ has set you free. Therefore, you do not take on any yoke of slavery again. Enough is enough we say on the Sabbath. I trust myself to you, and I trust myself to things that are bigger than finances. What a gift for us to pause and to remember the provision of God, the way he continues to provide for us even as we stop. Then finally, on the Sabbath, we get to refuel. We get a rest, we get to remember, and I found over the years that if you really take Sabbath seriously, uh, you also get to refuel. This word in Deuteronomy 5, 12 through 15, is such a fascinating set of verses. It is by far and away the longest of the Ten Commandments. You read through the Ten Commandments. This one is the longest by far. But interestingly, it's the only one of the Ten Commandments that Christians treat as a suggestion. 
<laughs> it's the only one. It's also called holy. It's called blessed. It's the only one of the Ten Commandments that is also a spiritual discipline. And all the spiritual disciplines are given to us for this reason of increasing our length and our frequency of holy moments with God. God gives these spiritual disciplines by which we can spend more time well with him, spend more time with people who are oftentimes waiting for us, give of our love to God and people. What a gift that he's given us a commandment by which we can enjoy his presence more and more. In the Boykin family, we practice Sabbath on Friday night to Saturday night. The Bible would indicate there's a fair bit of flexibility on how you practice the Lord's Day. Okay, Jews always practiced it from Friday night to Saturday night. They still do today. Most Christians practice it on Sunday. You can practice Sabbath on any day, truly. Like maybe your day off varies from week to week. That's fine. You can choose a different day each week to practice Sabbath. Maybe you say, I'll give you 100 reasons why I can't practice Sabbath, Adrian. I'm a truck driver or I'm a farmer and my days off change. Well, get flexible and ask yourself how you could practice it as opposed to how you can't practice it. Maybe there's some partnership that you could develop with another farmer such that you help each other out and be able to have a day off. Romans 14 would indicate that there's flexibility on what your Sabbath day might be. My Sabbath is not Sunday. Sunday is my most important day of the week. It's my most important work day. So my Sabbath is Friday night to Saturday night. And in our home, what we do as a family is Friday evening, we cook a meal together, we sit down, we oftentimes light a candle, and we bless each other. At the beginning of the Sabbath day, we consecrate this day as unique and special. We say, Lord, this is yours. We want this next 24 hours to be special unto you and with each other. And we make a plan for how to look the, the next day. And the next day, I promise you, my sermon is not done on Friday afternoon. But I put it aside. And I choose not to look at it until Sunday, until, excuse me, until Saturday evening. Saturday evening, I come back around to it. But on Saturday, like if you send me a text message or you send me an email, I won't get it because I'm not on my phone. I am not working on Saturday. If there's an emergency, I will be told. But that's a day where I stop and get refueled for the week to come. Susie and I sometimes talk about a really good Sabbath day that we might get to 3 or 4 o'clock in the afternoon on Saturday, and we'll oftentimes say to each other, like after going to the lake or going on a bike ride, playing a couple games well with the kids, whatever it might be, spend some time with God. At the end of the day, well, we might say to each other, can you believe how long this day has lasted? Like when you're not doing errands, when you're not running around to the kids' activities, when you are not checking email and constantly doing text messages, you allow your soul to pause and be refreshed. It's amazing how long that day will feel. It can become like an oasis, like a vacation every seven days. What a gift like to receive that from our good and kind Father in heaven who desires us not to be units of production, but desires us to get a rest from our labor 
I'm telling you, a good practice of Sabbath makes your labor over the next seven days far more bearable. I think of the Sabbath a little bit like building a fire. Like if you want to build a good fire, it takes some preparation, right? If you want to build a good fire that would warm a house, I know there's a couple people in here who have wood-burning fireplaces in their house, and sometimes they don't even turn the thermostat on in the winter because they know how to build such a good fire. But that takes some work to do it well. And you need to have all the different ingredients, all the different supplies to build a good fire that would warm up the house. And I find the Sabbath to, to be the same kind of thing. You have to have a number of different ingredients to build it up such that you would provide warmth for the next six days, refreshment for the next six days to come. And so I kind of think of it like this. At the beginning of the day, you got to have this, this paper. The beginning of your fire, you got to have some paper that you put in the fireplace And that's kind of like at the beginning of the day, uh, on your Sabbath, maybe for you it's Sunday, you start the day, well, with prayer and worship. Okay, the very beginning to get it started is this prayer and worship that oftentimes for Sabbath you would say something like this, this day is from you, O Lord, and I give this day back to you. All things are from you and for you and to you. I surrender this day back into your loving care. I ask that you would have your way in my life today. I give you this Sabbath day that it would be holy unto you. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We start this way. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And you might just sit into your prayer chair or go into your prayer closet and spend four or five minutes in prayer of dedication before God to get that fire started for a wonderful Sabbath day. Now, I find that the Sabbath doesn't go very well unless we have preparation for what that day would look like. Some of you, that may not be the case, but for me and my personality, I need to have preparation for how the day would look. I need to have a plan so there would be a different kind of day than the other six days. To me, without preparation, each of the days just kind of go together and you end up just doing errands all day. And the preparation to me is kind of like the, the kindling for, for the fire. You got your kindling, you got to spread that around the entire fireplace. And as you do so, then you can begin to light the fire. And the kindling's like that, that preparation of saying, this is what our Sabbath day is going to look like. And so far for you, it might be this. Like Sunday morning, again, you, know, you begin with prayer and worship, and then you say, we're going to go to church though this morning, and we are going to worship God at church. And I'm excited to worship God. I'm I'm excited to commune with God's people today. And if I serve today, I get to worship God as I serve today as well. This is a special and unique day. And after worship today, we're going to go spend some money. We're going to go out to eat. Or we're going to make a nice meal together at home. Or we're going to go to the lake. We have plans for things that we will enjoy doing today. One way I like to think about it is this. Like, whatever you do the other six days of the week, do something different on this day. So I tend to work with my mind and with my emotions the other six days. That's, that's the nature of my job. And so on the Sabbath, I kind of like to do something in the yard. Do some landscaping. Maybe uh, a little project that doesn't have a whole lot of time pressure associated with it. Okay, Susie's not going to be upset if it doesn't get done. She never would get upset. Sorry, Susie. <laughs> okay, it doesn't have any time pressure associated with it. I can relax. I can enjoy that project. I do something with my hands because it's different than the other six days. 
Maybe for you, if you're a blue-collar worker and you're working with your hands all six days of the week, on the seventh day, you just need to sit back and relax. That's okay. Yeah, I mean, enjoy a program. That's fine. Read a novel. Do something that's enjoyable to you that actually refreshes you on this Sabbath day. But you got to make a plan for it for it to be special. Then after that, I hope that you would plan into your day at least one log, and the log is the fire of the Word of God. Okay, you got to have a log in your fireplace that it would burn and warm up the house, and so also the Word of God is to be in us that it would warm us and strengthen us and refresh us for the week to come. Many people don't have 30 or maybe even 60 minutes to just dwell in the Scriptures during the week. I get it, we're busy. But on the Sabbath, you do. So on the Sabbath, to plan ahead, this is how we're going to spend 45 minutes steeping the Scriptures, as Jordan talked about, meditating on the Word for 45 minutes because it is sharper than any double-edged sword, and I need to get it in me for this week to come. You get a log of the Word in your life on the Sabbath day. I think of uh, a little bit of time of solitude as kind of the match that is necessary to light the fire. And uh, solitude is just this commitment, though, that we've talked about before, to get away so you could be with God and be filled up by Him. A week ago, I was having kind of a really bad attitude on our Sabbath. It was a no-good-for-nothing attitude day. And Susie kindly told me, why don't you go to Cotton Mill Park and, and bring a book out, and you can go for a walk and enjoy the sunshine and just relax. I could use a break from your attitude right now, Adrian. <laughs> she didn't say that, but I got the message. <laughs> and so I did. And I came back in a different place. Solitude alone with God, who is meant to be the easy yoke for us that would minister to our soul. That's the match. Now, we do all these things. We have to split the kindling. We have to do the hard work. We have to do the preparation. We have to bring ourselves to the log of the Word of God to dwell with the Scriptures. We have to do those things. Faith is not opposed to effort, my friends. Faith and effort go hand in hand. But it's God who brings the fire, right? God brings the miracle of fire. And I do not have permission from our facilities to make a fire in here right now. So you got to just imagine with me. But God brings the fire, this miraculous thing called fire. And so also God brings this miraculous thing called transformation. It's in the presence of God that is fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. If you want joy, you got to be with God. If you want sustained peace, it's in the presence of God. If you want sustained hope, it's found, my friends, in the presence of God. And the low-hanging fruit that God intends for us to reach up and grab is this weekly gift of Sabbath, through which we would find rest, through which we would remember the goodness of God for us, through which we would be refueled for the week to come. I'm going to bring the band up forward right now, and as they come forward, take a look at this 
wonderful verse from Isaiah 58. It's a good way for us to wrap up this morning. This is a beautiful promise for us if we choose to receive. You got to choose to receive the gift that God gives you. He gives you free will that you can choose it or not. You choose to receive this gift that he gives to us. Here's the promise that is offered. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please, from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not giving, not going your own way, and not doing as you please, or speaking idle words, then, if you call it a delight, if you don't just go your own way, if you don't just do as you please, but you call it a delight, you say, this is holy from you, this is a blessing from you, O Lord. If you do that, you receive that gift, then you'll find more joy in the Lord. I don't know about you, but that's a promise that I want to grab onto. That's a promise I want to hold onto. That's a promise I want to live out each and every week, that I would experience more joy in the Lord through this, a day to be refreshed. Father, we ask your help on this. Uh, We know everything in our culture would fight against this. Uh, Our culture fights to make us units of production. Our culture says explicitly now, there's no day that's special. There's no day that's for the Lord. Our culture tells us explicitly now that you are what you make. We know better. We know better, O Lord. And so we'd ask for your help As we process what this might look like for us, we admit that it'll be hard. We admit that we might stumble and fall at times. We admit that we'll need your grace. But we confess to you, Lord, that we want the beauty of life with you, the beauty of life with family and friends, the beauty of life in your creation, the beauty of being refreshed by the one who alone is God. All glory to him on heaven and earth. Through Christ we pray. Amen.